You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Welcome. There we go. There we go. Welcome, everybody. Um, it's great to have you here with us tonight. Um, I do have to make a confession before I start. Uh, a sinner walks among us. Um, well, he, he toddles among us. Um, I do have to confess this. My son this morning told a horrendous lie and uh, deceived and manipulated. Uh, so I dropped him off at Kids Church with Pastor Adam and Sharon uh, with the kids. And, and it was a bit distraught because it's kind of that separation time and he wasn't handling it too well. So I dropped him there and uh, anyway, came back and then uh, Sharon yelled at me through the window, hey, Brett, you need to come back. Patty's done a poo. Patty is my son. She's not just some random kid. Um, Patty, yeah. So Patty's done a poo. So I grab the, the bag, grab the nappies and, uh, and head up. And I get there and um, take him off Pastor Adam and, and he says to me, you're here, I can go home now. And, uh, and I said, no, 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 he can't go home. So I put him down on, to change his nappy and there wasn't a poo at all. Um, and, and I don't know whether I'm, I should be impressed or scared because he's figured out that if he says that he's done a poo, that I'm going to come over and rescue him. And uh, so he's picked that up in four weeks. And so who knows what's going to happen in four years. So please pray for him. Pray that this deceiving, lying spirit uh, just leaves him and that he just walks in the truth and walks in the light uh, once again. Um, So uh, just coming up as well, we have our youth camp coming up. (laughs) We got there in the end. Um, so our youth camp, New Beginnings, and uh, so please make sure you register for that. We've got uh, the registration forms at the back, so if you can, if you can register for that. I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. This is going to be our best youth camp ever. Um, so make sure that you get along. Also, if you're a young adult, as Pastor Tim mentioned, please sign up for our Young Adults Life Groups. Uh, we will get in contact with you over this next week uh, as we launch them. Uh, we're rolling a couple of Young Adults Life Groups out over the next couple of months. So make sure that you're a part of that. Uh, it's the best way to get connected. Uh, I want to have a look at a, a word that uh, for everybody, it's going to be a different, it's, it's going to bring about a different connotation. It's going to bring about different images, going to bring about different emotions. It's going to mean different things to different people. And, and it's a word that, that you might have had experience with. When, when I say this word, you're going to instantly get an image, or you may not get an image, or it's going to bring back an emotion, or it's going to bring back a thought about a particular type of person or person. And, and the word is evangelism. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear evangelism or evangelist, but, but for me, growing up in church in the late 90s, for me, an evangelist was somebody who yelled a lot, who dragged people down the front, yelled fire at them, and then pushed them over. That was what an evangelist was for me. Uh, and then kind of as I, as I got on further, uh, evangelism was was explained to me that it's, it's reaching people that are hurting, it's reaching people that uh, are in need of, of God and, and in need of God in their lives. And so it, it kind of, it was almost, uh, it almost brought a, a kind of a scary element to it because you had to step out of your comfort zone, you had to walk across the room, you had to explain your faith, you had to explain the reason why you do what you do 
what the reason that you go to church, the reason that you believe in God. So it kind of, it, it, it moved, it evolved in terms of my thinking of evangelism. And, uh, you know, as I kind of got further on, we, we look at the gift of evangelism and, and that person has, has a gift of evangelism. That person ha- is an evangelist and, and all of these things aren't incorrect, probably except for the first one with the evangelist that yells at people and pushes them over. That was just my perception, an incorrect perception. But all of these things aren't incorrect. But sometimes what we do with an evangelist or the gift of evangelism is that we pigeonhole it. And we, we cordon it off into, well, that's, that's a person's gift. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not called to reach people. And in doing that, we sometimes shirk our responsibility that Jesus gives us to, to everybody to reach out to those that are hurting, those that are, those that are in, in agony and those that are in pain to reach them for the gospel. And sometimes when we, when we pigeonhole it or when we cordon it off, we can, do, we can do just that and, and walk away from our, our expectation and the calling that God gives us to reach those that are outside these four walls. Our, uh, our vision statement here at Centro Church is people connected, communities transformed. And, and I want to look at a passage of Scripture in which Jesus literally, through the interaction with one person, transforms a community. And, you know, these aren't just words. They're not just kind of, well, that sounds good. Let's put it on a nice picture, and that's our vision statement. This is actually what we believe we've been called to do. And and in this passage of Scripture, Jesus transforms a community. And I don't know if you've ever thought about what a community transformed looks like, but it's not just kind of a small thing. It's not like, oh, this week on the agenda we've got community transformation. It's not like a recycling plan or like a, a, you know, well, this week we're going to clean up the city. Community transformation is a massive deal. But Jesus in this one passage transforms a community through the interaction with just one person. So what I want to do tonight is I want to look at that passage of Scripture, and then what we're going to do is we're going to work back to see just how Jesus transformed a community because Bible calls us to be like Jesus. And so I think if we're going to learn, we might as well learn from the Master. And uh, if you're a Christian here tonight, there's something in here for you. Look, if you're not a Christian, that's cool. There's something in here for you as well. Uh, it's kind of one of those stories that has all the protagonists. Like there's, there's you know, you'll find yourself in, in this story at some point. If you're a woman, you'll find yourself in this story. If you're a man, you should be ashamed of yourself. No, sorry, I've just been watching Facebook. Um, if you're a man, you'll find yourself in this story as well. Let's look at the passage. The passage is found in John 4, chapter, sorry, chapter 4, verses 39 to 42. And just to kind of give you a bit of context, one of the most famous stories in the Gospels is the story of the woman at the well. Uh, and this is the, this is the verse that uh, follows that particular story. It follows that particular interaction. It says this in verse 39. It's on the screen, I believe. Yes. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman remember her, had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because what you told us, but because what you heard, we heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the saviour of the world. 
Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your call to each of us to reach our community. And Lord, we just pray that communities transformed would be our everyday experience. Lord, that, that as we connect with people, we would see communities transformed and transformation unfold. Lord, I pray for a boldness. I pray for a courage. And I pray for, Lord, in, instinct and wisdom to approach our community in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Uh, the medical world is one of those worlds that has just rapidly exploded in terms of uh, innovation, in terms of new ideas, in terms of breakthroughs in medical science and things like that. You know, if you have a look over the past 300 years, you'll just see these medical breakthroughs. You know, the, the understanding and, and, and I guess moving of penicillin into a form where it can be used, the, the uh, understanding and, and the discovery of antibiotics, all of those kind of things. But I was watching a, a documentary on the American Civil War and the things that have come out of the American Civil War, very gruesome battles, very in-your-face kind of gory details, but they were talking about the, the, the growth from the start of the Civil War to the end of the Civil, civil War in terms of medical advancements. And so they, they were looking at, at the way that wound healing happened from the beginning to the end. And, and they said that it came down to two really, really important factors. They said that, that it was the, the correct use and the understanding of the first being anesthetic and then the second being antiseptic. That, that as nurses and doctors actually understood the use of both of these things, that it, it increased the rate of survival. And the understanding of anesthetic and antiseptic has undoubtedly saved or, or, or made sure that people can live millions of lives over the course of humanity. And used correctly, anesthetic and antiseptic can do incredible things. It, it can prolong death. It can allow somebody to live previously when they wouldn't have been able to live from a mortal wound or a, a wound in battle or something like that. And uh, what does that have to do with the passage of Scripture that we just read? Well, Jesus had, was on the forefront of evangelist, um, you know, he, he was on the, the, the forefront of evangelist strategies, if you will. He was the master. And, and in the passage that, that we just read, preceding that passage, which we're about to read in a minute, Jesus actually uses two strategies that are incredibly insightful and incredibly impactful when he has an interaction with one person. And I put it to you that it's exactly the same as somebody, a doctor using anesthetic and antiseptic for the right reasons, the same way Jesus actually uses these two approaches when he speaks to this woman and ultimately delivers the antidote. So the title of my message tonight is called Anesthetic, Antiseptic, and Antidotes. Now, say that to your next-door neighbor three times really fast. Go now. Literally, before I got here tonight, I had to like articulate, like tip of the tongue, top of the toes, tip of the tongue, top of the toes. Antiseptic, anesthetic, antiseptic, antidote. And so I had to just kind of say it over and over again just so that I didn't mess it up. Uh, I just I know that I'm going to mess it up at some point during this message, so pay attention. Uh, you can pull me up when you do. But in this interaction with this woman, he does what nobody has ever done before in terms of evangelism. The way that he approaches her, the things that he says, and, and the ultimate result had never, ever been done or recorded in Scripture. 
in the, in the past, what had happened is that people were preached to and they would respond to the preach, or they were spoken to and they would respond to that. But in this passage of Scripture, Jesus has an encounter with a woman who uh, we would possibly not define as a follower of Christ, and in this interaction, he delivers just an incredibly insightful and impactful way to impact our community and to impact individuals that we would face in our world. So the passage that I want to have a look at is, uh, like I said before, it's the woman at the well found in John 4. It's quite a lengthy passage, but what I want to do is unpack it, and then we'll stop and just observe just a few things from the passage. So uh, we'll start with John 4, chapter 4, verses 4 to 8. It says this, He, being Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sichar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "'Please give me a drink.' He was alone at the time." because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. Now, a couple of things from that first passage. There's two, uh, I guess, juxtaposing views here. The first one is that Jesus himself goes to the well. Now, he, he being God with all foreknowledge, knew that the woman would be there, but the disciples went to get food. And Jesus was actually very direct and deliberate in terms of who he approached. Now, we'll have a look in later on in the passage, but he knew the story of the woman. He knew where, where she'd been. He knew what had happened to her. And so he was very determined and very direct in terms of who he approached. And uh, because the truth is, to, to get where Jesus needed to go would have been faster to avoid Samaria. It would have been way faster for Jesus to actually take the direct route that would not have led him through this particular town. But Jesus was very direct to make sure that he got to the well. And sometimes I think, well, I'm just speaking for me here. Sometimes we avoid the well to go direct. And we justify ourselves by saying, well, I just needed to get here. And that's how I needed to get there. But Jesus found himself at the well which was not where he should have been at that particular time. And sometimes we need to find ourselves in places where we wouldn't normally be to impact people we wouldn't normally impact. And so Jesus finds himself at this well, and the disciples have gone off for food. And here's, the, I guess, the observation from this little patch of Scripture, is that Jesus makes a detour for one woman, but the disciples go on to get food. And, and Jesus was doing the works of God, but the disciples were doing the works for God. And both are important, but I want to kind of observe here that, that Jesus' impact happens because he was doing the works of God. And sometimes, I'm just speaking to me again, we can justify our lack of reaching out to that particular person or stretching out an arm of compassion to that person because we are doing the works for God, but we avoid doing the works of God. You know, and, and this, is, this is me sometimes because I think to myself, well, hang on a minute. I, I don't think that I need to reach out to that person. Do, do they know how much work I've done for the church this week? Do they know that I made scones 18 times for the church this week? Do they know that I've played bass? I don't play bass for the church this week. I'm just using this as an example. And sometimes we shirk our responsibility because we've been doing the works for God instead of doing the works of God. And the disciples actually go off and, and they were doing a good thing. And hear my heart, I'm not saying don't serve in church, but I'm just saying don't 
let that be an excuse for reaching out to that person that you find at the well. See, it's the, the things for God that we can measure. We can measure the things for God. Well, I've served 18 hours this week in church. Uh, you know, we, we can get into a bit of a battle. Well, I've served 23 hours in church and prayed for 700 hours this week for the church. And, and I don't think God's interested in measuring that. See, the morning tea is great. The production is great. Those things are awesome, but they in themselves are not transformational. You know, we, we, can, we can add to an atmosphere that, that brings revelation. We can add to an atmosphere that brings encounter. But those things in themselves are not transformational. What Jesus did with the woman at the well when he met her was incredibly transformational. See, the church's greatest asset you will, you will not find in the assets register. The church's greatest asset is not this sound system. It's not this building. It's not this this facility. The church's greatest asset in reaching our community is you. It's me. You know, and sometimes we can be, we can look at this and be like, well, you know, we're making an impact. But, but the truth is, you can make more of an impact in one encounter than this building can make in, in 10 years. And sometimes we, we think of assets of the things that we can measure, but an interaction can be way more powerful. An interaction can be way more impactful. See, the church's greatest asset is you and it's me. And sometimes we need to just sit down and realize that. We need to sit down and go, well, hang on, I'm the church and I can be the greatest asset for community transformation than a sound system. And, and hey, I'm all for good facilities. I'm all for having a facility that people want to come back to. Don't get me wrong, but I'm saying that when you walk out those doors, you are way more of an asset than those doors ever will be. And, uh, you, you know, we've got, a, we've got a spring fair coming up in, uh, in, in the middle of October, and I really want to encourage you. Like, a lot of people come up, oh, just tell me what to do. I'm happy to do anything. Here's what we need you to do. Invite your friends. Invite your friends. Look, we will find people to man the stations. But, but you know what this, this city need, needs? It doesn't need another show. We can put on a show. Don't get me wrong, we can put on a production, we can put on a show, but we actually need people that are reaching out and influencing and having connection with the community. Don't worry about, you know, it's great that we can do all this and, and you know, we, we, we will need people to man stalls and things like that, but the most, the most important thing is not that the spring fair looks awesome, it's that it's awesome for the community. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I want to I go out on a limb and let's believe for 200 people in Ipswich and Collingwood Park that, had, that, that wouldn't normally walk into a church, that wouldn't normally uh, darken the doorstep because of, you know, whatever pre, presupposed ideas or, or, or pre-thought out plans. But let's believe for that. What we need is our assets, you and me, to be impactful into the community and bring them to, we've got Dr. Robbie Sondrega. It's, it's the next season is going to be ripe for opportunity to bring people to church. But also, it doesn't just have to be, hey, come to church. You have an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody. You have an opportunity to pray for somebody that's outside the hospital uh, when, when you're leaving church. You know, that, that, that's evangelism 101 and that's what Jesus did. So we'll, we'll move on and we'll read from uh, from. John chapter 4 verses 9. So that was the, that's kind of just a preface to where we're going. I'm going to unpack anesthetic 
antiseptic and antidote in just a minute. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the, God, the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have any rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals has enjo- have enjoyed? Anesthetic. See, at first glance, you don't see how horrific this interaction is. At first glance, you're kind of, oh, Jesus is having a conversation with a woman. Fair enough. But, but what you don't understand and, and the cultural context that this happens in is absolutely horrendous. When the disciples come back, they can't figure out why Jesus is speaking to this woman. Because rabbinic law forbade any man to speak in public with a woman. To be seen having a conversation with a woman in public would have been considered absolutely immoral and you would have been cast out of society. So that's the first thing. It also forbade any interaction with the Samaritan because a Samaritan, there was this religious difference where Samaritans insisted that they worship on a particular mountain, but the Jews insisted that they had to worship in Jerusalem. So that it also forbade that. And all of these things, while shocking, and I've heard this particular passage preached hundreds of times, all of these things are shocking, absolutely shocking not the most shocking part. And this is where the anesthetic comes in. Jesus literally disarms this woman because he asks her for a drink of water. Now, she would have understood the cultural context. She would have understood the religious context. But, but the woman, and she makes a note of this fact, she says, Jesus doesn't have a bucket or rope because what, when Jesus says to her, give me a drink, he's actually saying, give me a drink from your pitcher. Give me a, a drink from your bucket. Now, you might not think, oh, uh, you know, whatever, she's got girl germs. But the truth is, if you were a Jew and, you, and Jesus would have known this, to drink from the same picture or same cup as a Samaritan would have made you incredibly ceremonially unclean. So th- there was a term that the Jews used for Samaritan women. They were called menstruants from birth which was just to say that the girls, the Samaritan girls are always unclean. They're always unclean. Don't ever touch a, a Samaritan woman because she's terribly unclean. And, if, and, and then the saying went on, if you receive the spit from a Samaritan woman, then you yourself will be a menstruant from birth. So what Jesus is actually doing when he's saying to this woman, hey, give me a drink from your picture, he is saying, I'm, I'm prepared to meet you where you're at, to meet you where you're at. And the truth is, if we want to impact our community, then we need to be prepared to drink from the same cup that our community is drinking from. We need to be prepared to get uh, messy, like, and I use that term, you know, interestingly, but we need to be prepared to get in the muck where people are dealing with issues. We need to be prepared to meet them where they're at. We, and I'm not saying we need to do what they're doing, but we need to meet them where they're at. See, she would have been absolutely shocked to think that a Jewish man and a rabbi, because he was obviously a teacher, he knew the law, and a rabbi would be prepared to lower himself to drink from the same 
pitcher that he was going to drink from. She would have been absolutely disarmed. And and if we want to impact our community, if we want to see a community transformed, we need to be totally disarming people, not by our theology, not by our argument, not by our response, our wit, our our well-thought-out essay or whatever. We need to be disarming the community by literally being prepared to drink from the same cup that they're drinking from. And, and, and I guarantee you that that will be totally disarmed. The purpose of anesthetic is to, remo- is to numb the nerves. So the, the thing that can take place, so that true healing can take place. And, and, and we need to, that's how we're supposed to roll. We're supposed to lead with that anesthetic so that Jesus can then come and, and apply the antiseptic and it won't hurt like it would if you didn't have an anesthetic and you were pouring antiseptic in a wound. See, it was Jesus brings the anesthetic to the situation and the, the woman buys in. He's got her. At that point, he's got her. He, she's so interested. She's so intrigued. She's so impacted by the fact that he was prepared to lower himself, to meet with her, to have a, a drink of water with her, that he has her world. And she is literally fixated on what he has to do, and here's my here's my challenge. When was the last time that you drank from a cup that you wouldn't normally drink from, metaphorically speaking? When was the last time that that, that you were in a place that that didn't feel comfortable? This wasn't your norm, that, and, and you were prepared to actually have a drink of water with somebody in the metaphoric term with somebody that, that you wouldn't normally have a drink of water with, where, where you wouldn't necessarily be moving these social circles. When was the last time that you did that? Because if we want to see communities transformed, there's got to be more of this. Well, remember in that passage at the beginning, it was this literally transformed a community, this interaction with one woman transformed a community. And, uh, and all of them have to work together. See, sometimes we actually just stay in the anesthetic phase. You know, oh, you know, we just, we just love you, 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 we just love you. And it gets a bit sickening at some point. But Jesus actually takes it from there, leads with that, and, and, and gets her attention, gets, her, gets her, world, uh, her world's attention. And then, then he moves on to this next phase. And uh, it's found in chapter 13, sorry, uh, verse 13. It says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Jesus said, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, and you've had five husbands, and now you aren't, and, and you aren't married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Antiseptic. The antiseptic cleans the wound. The antiseptic gets the dirt out. It gets the muck out. It brings to, it brings to the surface all of those things that would hinder healing, all of those things that would, would hinder the, the healing process. And Jesus never condemns her for her lifestyle, never condemns her for what she's done. He just highlights the fact that it's there. And, and we don't know what her story is. We don't know what her previous marriages were like, but we just know that in this interaction, Jesus brings to the surface all that's going on in, in her life. And the thing is, when, when people come to Christ, it, it sometimes it, it, there's going to be some things that come up. 
there's gonna be some things that come up to the surface that aren't necessarily gonna be pretty. But we need to be people that are gonna be able to bear with people while the stuff comes up so that we can ensure that the healing takes place. See, if, if, you're not a, if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or you don't consider yourself a Jesus follower and you've heard that the church is all about condemnation, it's all about judgment, well, I'm here to tell you I apologize for any interaction that you've had where that's the case. But, but that's not what we're about. We're about making sure that we are a place where people can get healing. Like, uh, we're not going to be those people that are just going to, you know, glaze over it. But we want you to be the person that God has called you to be. We want you to be the person that, that God has planned for you to be. And to do that, there's going to be some issues. And we need, we're cool with that. We're cool with issues. And, uh, and, and that's what the anesthetic is. And uh, somebody asked me this morning, do, do we you know, have street preachers that go out and do street preaching. I have nothing against street preachers, but, but the problem with that is that you lead with antiseptic. You know, repent, you're a sinner, you're doing the wrong thing, you're doing the wrong thing, you're doing the wrong thing. And, and I'm not criticizing that, but I'm just saying that, that the success rate would, I believe, be hindered because we don't actually lead with that disarming love that Jesus led with. And sometimes we can lead with antiseptic and people get hurt because when it, like, if you've got an open wound and you pour antiseptic in it, it's going to hurt. And, uh, and, and so that's why we need to be people that lead with the anesthetic love that disarms people. Let's read on and then, and then we'll finish. In, in verse 19, it says, Sir, the woman says, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship your fa- the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them have the ner- had the nerve to ask, what do, you want, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. See, Jesus finishes with the antidote. He leads with the anesthetic. He brings the, 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 the hurt and, and the, the pain out through antiseptic. But Jesus is himself the antidote. And see, if we want to see true transformation happen, then we need to provide people with an opportunity to stand face-to-face with their Savior, to stand face-to-face with their Messiah. See, we can lead with anesthetic, and that's great. We can be a part of that. We, you know, we can be the arms and legs of that. We can even help with the antiseptic thing. But, but until somebody stands face-to-face with their Messiah, until somebody stands face-to-face with Jesus, there won't be true transformation. It was once her eyes were open to the fact that it was Jesus, the Christ that was speaking to her, that that literally transformed her world. See, and, and I'm just going to finish with 
the, the passage of scripture that we read at the start, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. See, the community then had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus the Messiah. And, but, it, but it started with one woman. It started with one woman. And, and you might not be the, the type of person that can preach to thousands, that's cool. But you can start with one person. You can start with one person and you can lead with the anesthetic love that Jesus led with and says, I'm prepared to drink from your cup. I'm prepared to drink from that which you know you might think, oh, there's no way you're gonna care about me. There's no way that you care about what I've done. If you just knew what the type of person that I was, you wouldn't come any closer. It starts with the anesthetic love that Jesus led with. And and everybody can do that. And that's what we're called to do. It starts with one person, people connected, communities transformed. You know, we, we can't just, we, we, can't, we can preach it, we can, you know, we can talk about it, but until we're actually connecting with that one person and leading with the love that Jesus led with, we're not going to see a community transformed. It's just, it's hyperbole. It's, it's just there, it's just words. And, uh, and you know, then, then we, we need to be prepared to deal with the stuff that comes up when, when those wounds are being cleared, cleaned out. We need to be prepared and not scared and not worried about, oh my gosh, well, did you see what they were doing? They were smoking cigarettes. Uh, we need to be prepared to, to let that happen. You know, we're, we're not called to judge. We're not called to condemn. We're called to just be there on the journey while the antiseptic cleans out the wound and, and then to allow people to have an encounter with the antidote, to allow the antidote to be administered by the one who is the antidote. Thank you for listening to this podcast.